was just like, my bad. <laughs> Cut, you started too fast. <laughs> I thought we were ready. Okay, let's try it again. One, two, three. Hi! So, welcome back to Into the Spaces Beyond the Blog. I'm Alicia Griffin. And I'm Devin Ant. And we are live. You see our faces? Mm-hmm. You see her face? Do you mm-hmm. see my face? You can see all the other faces. But you can only see our face if you pay for it. Patreon. Yes. So, this is our Father's Day episode. Father's Day episode. So, for those of you who are not new, we had a Mother's Day episode, pretty similar to this one, mm-hmm. where we had a group of moms kind of talk about what motherhood meant to them. So, we're doing the same thing for Father's Day. Now, before we get started, we do want to remind people that this is episode 24 out of 25. Five. Mm-hmm. And so, that means that episode 25 is our season finale. If you don't know, uh, we are currently doing a giveaway. So, if you can send a screenshot to our Facebook or Instagram, uh, Intimate Spaces, that you subscribe to our podcast on any streaming platform, you get a free button. And if you get a free button, you get put in the drive for a free t-shirt. So, if you haven't already done that, please do so. If you're new here, you will get a button, but you will be entered for a chance to win a t-shirt. Yo, I just want to... Can we say it one more time? If you're new here, you will get a button when you subscribe, but you will be entered into a drawing to win a t-shirt. Which means you might lose. Yeah, you might, because we... Look, we don't got t-shirts on deck yet. Okay. Like, four people asked for a shirt. I don't... I don't know where we had a disconnected conversation. You the one that ran the ad? Read the ad said you get it, you could you could win. People on the internet don't read. Anyway, probable probability math. All right, so if you want to see us and also hear us, you gotta subscribe to our Patreon. Yes. So if you just want to hear us, continue doing what you're doing. We're just listening on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, wherever you listen to podcasts. Alright, so today we are joined by various fathers. Yes, we are. And we're gonna let them introduce themselves. Yes, so we'll start, let's start this way, and we'll go this way. Yes. Well, hi, my name is Jerome Parker. I am 29, and I am a software engineer and business owner. Uh, I have two children, a boy and a girl, uh, Ethan and Mariah, 75, no grandchildren. No, there's. Okay, and everybody knows Jerome. If you if you listen into the spaces, you know Jerome. Because he's in the background all the time. Now you can see him. And here you can see him too. Well, and hear him when we want y'all to hear him. Because sometimes he just be in the background. Yeah, I think he helped me count to eleven once. Yeah. What? (laughs) Oh yeah. Okay. Anyway, thanks Jerome for being here. No problem. Next. Yes. Um. My name is Keith from Howard. I'm at the age of forty-eight. I have five children. Which is one of them is the host. That's me. He technically has six because I'm honorary. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. continue. Oh, ages? I mean, if you want to. If you want to tell her ages, I mean, don't tell my age. Why not? Cause she's thirty-seven. No, I'm about to start my. I'm about to start my tour of twenty-one. You're about to do what? <laughs> anyway, I was inspired in Iceland. It's a long story. We're not doing this today. <laughs> Continue. Maybe I can uh, name your agents. Do you want to tell me what uh, you do? Just down here. Uh, what I do? I'm a maintenance man for Liberty Green. Uh, you got any grandkids? No. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, I do. Yes, I do. I have two, gra- three, girl, no, no, one, two, two. 
two. Wow. Three, a cat and a dog. Oh, I was about to say, I need you to know how many he had. Lola and, um. <laughs> What's the cat? <laughs> the dog is Lola. I know, I know the dog. Zoe. 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 Thank you, thank you, thank you. You're disrespectful. As you know, he has grand animals if nobody knew. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for being here. Well, I just thank you for having me. <laughs> and last but not least. My name's Adam Hayes. I'm 55. Um, I'm a truck driver and I work for Eminem Cartage. I have um, three daughters and one son and two granddaughters and one grandson. Right. right. Represent for the granddaddy. Yeah. At least one. I'm excited. <laughs> I was a little nervous when your dad dropped out. I was like, does anybody have big? Oh. But okay. So, uh, anyone can start. It doesn't matter which order. Just, you know, try to be respectful of people talking. But was fatherhood always something you wanted? Anybody can start. Yeah. Yes, very much so. I always, always wanted to be a dad. And when my children you know, came into this world, you know, it was a joy that I can't describe anything else in my life. I was very happy. Never had never had any doubts about being a father. I always wanted to be one. Oh, that's beautiful. That is beautiful. Well, mine was a, more of a surprising era, to which is what I had one child, but after my child was born, that's when I knew things had to change, and two more popped up in my life. And after that, you know, it's a basic instinct of me just knowing what to do as time progresses, you know, and learn from each other. Well, me, I'd always had plans of fatherhood. Um, I didn't know how many kids I wanted as I went through my life, but the kids that I have, uh, they have been such a joy to me. Um, I tell you, there's nothing like uh, fatherhood. Uh, it's just the sad thing about it is when they get older, they forget about you. Oh, Lord. Okay. No, we don't. Anyway, do I forget about you? I'm literally coming to time. your house all the time. That doesn't mean you, you remember. Ooh, okay, fair. <laughs> all right. So, this kind of adds on to that. How old were you when you first had a child, and how did that impact your early experiences with fatherhood? I go first. Okay. I was 19 uh, when I got the news of my first uh, child, uh, Whitney. Uh, she is now 35 years old. Um, well, she is, she is now 34. Mm-hmm. She'll be 35 here this coming October. Um, I was kind of shocked and nervous, uh, but as she um, uh, got older and, and our relationship formed with each other, um, I felt very proud to have a daughter and realizing uh, that something um, uh, that beautiful I made. Hmm. I like that. Well, I was uh, I was 21 when Ethan was born, and uh, all of my kids were planned. So I was um, I was really excited, and I had already um, I had already had prepared myself mentally well as much as I thought I could at the time you know that you know like fatherhood is you know gonna be everything that encompasses my being Mm -hmm. so early experiences like I uh 
I did I struggled with like the mundane things like you know like first time I I was Chinese Ethan and he like projectile like crap all over me like hit me in the face and stuff like nobody could prepare me for that <laughs> you know and I was, and and uh, you know it just just uh, I'm a I'm I'm a very avid reader so like during the pregnancy itself you know I was reading all sorts of you know father blogs and you know child development books and stuff like that and you know it's it's there's lots of sound advice in there but like not, nothing like really prepares you mm -hmm. um, like you know a child that looks like you <laughs> so <laughs> you know uh, I had I had them young and uh, but I wasn't really my social life was kind of eh. you know all I did was you know work on the business and and be with the kids. So I was really happy in that dynamic, just being at home. I was a stay-at-home father and I was running my business from home. So it was a good. Well, I was 20-something. I can't recall which age I was when I had uh, my first child. Because <laughs> I was too busy acting a fool, but once she came into my life, then I knew things had to change. Mm. Or it's everything, or it's me being out. Mm. He, you know, running the streets, I knew things had to change. So as my life changed, as being a father, then that's when I knew, you know, a whole bunch of other stuff had to come with it. Hmm. It's just kind of hard to explain when you're going through stuff like that. You don't have to deal with what you can. Ooh, I have an extra question because they all have girls. <laughs> okay, this part B to that question. Uh -oh. It's not going to be that in depth. I just want to know from y'all perspectives, when y'all found out y'all were having girls, at any point, how did y'all feel? Just as fathers, was there fear? Cause I talk to my dad all the time and he's like, I feel like there's a difference between when you have, when you have a son and yeah. when you have a daughter. Yeah. Well, myself, I knew I was having a girl. <laughs> I know my mom. <laughs> okay. No, I knew I was having a girl. So I was just happy just to have a, um, a, a normal, healthy child. That's mm -hmm. all I wanted, as long as she was, long she was healthy. Mm -hmm. So I prayed for, you know, I wanted a son and a daughter. So I remember when we uh, got the ultrasound confirmed, you know, gender, it was a girl. And like, I cried like a baby. Aww. And then like, when she was born, like, and I, and I first held her, like, I, who my heart hurt, like, uh, I, I felt like I came out of my body, and then I also remember immediately thinking, like, wow, there's nobody on this earth who I'm ready to murder something for. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like, I, like, I, like, when my, when Ethan was born, of course, you know, I, I protect, I'm gonna protect all my children, but, like, when I, when my daughter first touched my hands, I was like, yeah, no, like, this is, yeah, like, I was like, this, you, this is, this is, uh, this is, you know, human gold right here and like I kind of want to put you in a castle somewhere like I didn't even start thinking of like all this stuff like this is such a this is you know a beautiful a beautiful girl's going to grow up to be a beautiful woman and I know we live in a world of of a lot of uh men who are not of caliber and standards and so I um I definitely have a I don't wanna, I don't want to say a fear but uh uh an acknowledgement that I will definitely have to, in certain areas, I will have to put more effort with my daughter than I will with my son because we live in a man's world and there's a lot of things that 
Ethan is going to be able to um, traverse with without even having to think. Mm-hmm. And um, and me as a man, like I don't know how a woman thinks, but I know how men think. And like I know, I want my job is to, you know, give her the tools and and the skills to be able to have discernment to make you know smart decisions that you know in her life. Because another thing I don't want to do is. Uh, drive my children away especially my daughter like um because i'm so protective that you know that it it comes off as um controlling or manipulation or like i'm not understanding when Mm -hmm. so um you know right now like like i said they're five and seven and and our communication is like really really solid and and I'm, i'm pray that we just keep that. And I know as they grow older and stuff, they're not going to want to hang with that and stuff. <laughs> and, I'm probably, and I know I probably will get on their nerves because you know, I'm always going to check on my babies, especially my daughter. Like, uh, say what you will, but you know, if it were up to me, like, I would have you know, GPS chips, like in all her clothes. <laughs> with, <laughs> with little, you know, with drones on demand and just like come up and see where she's at. Like, I'm like super protective about my daughter. But I'm realistic too. I'm trying to. I want to make sure that I don't. Uh, I don't uh, push her away. So, yeah. That was my kryptonite. She's my kryptonite for sure. Well, the question was asked: uh, How did I feel when I realized I had a daughter? But let me start off saying that when my son was born, which I had his older sister before him. When Marcus was born, I never once thought that um, to be protective over him, you know, because he was a boy, mm-hmm. you know, and I'd always thought, well, he's going to be like me. Um, so I didn't have any worries about him. Um, but when my daughters came along, and like I said, Marcus had a sister before him, but as my girls got older, I'd always thought, wow, uh, like Jerome was saying, I'm a man and I know how boys think, you know, they want one thing. You know, um, they're just out to get one thing. And there's so many things that, that females have to watch out for and be and have discernment for that guys just don't have to worry about. And so as they were coming up, always trying to tell them, watch out for this, watch out for that, don't do this, don't do that, Give, has given them the impression that uh, I was aggressive and trying to uh, control them and that that's not at all. This, that wasn't the case at all. It was just being a father and being, uh, as they would say, overprotective. But in today's times, although yesterday was not as worse as today, it was still bad for its time. And what um, daughters don't understand is that with a father, fathers always have, fathers worry more about their daughters than than they do about their sons, then mothers worry about their daughters and the sons. Fathers worry more about their daughters. And you always want the best for your kids, especially your daughters. But when, but when my kids, when my girls were uh, uh, growing up, I know I, to them, I, they thought I was being uh, uh, overly aggressive, but sometimes you have to be. Mm. And regardless of um, how whatever rejection I got or however much they thought I got on them ner- on the nerves, 
all my constant, don't do this and don't do that, watch out for this and watch out for that, has really prepared them for where they are now. Here, here. And they don't even realize it. For anybody wondering where they hear came from, that's Amber in the background. Because this is her dad. I'm about to say, you've heard Amber before. <laughs> she tends to become a third host without asking. Sorry. <laughs> Does she have to ask though? Is like, wow, all this resonated. We're going to talk about this on the break a little more. But go. <laughs> okay. So, for the second time, let's move forward. Um, so, what do you consider to be some of the best memories of being a dad and then some of the worst? Well, I'll start off this time. Um, this question uh, is in relation to all of my kids, uh, not just my daughters. But the best years of my life was when my kids were little. Because that's when they, uh, I felt like they needed me the most. Because when my kids were little, I gave my whole life to them. My everything. Every, when I, all I did was go to work and come home, and I was with my kids. I did all the outside things with them. Uh, I fed them. I cleaned them. I did the hair. Um, I was the one that they came to uh, way down deep in the morning when they were sick. They didn't go to the mother. They came to me. Uh, so the best years of my life was the love I felt for my kids when they were young. Uh, coming up. And but the worst things I felt for my kids as when they were little coming up was always having to watch out for them. Always constantly, where you at? Where you going? Uh, making sure that they was protected, whether they wanted me to protect them or not, whether they realized the dangers or not. I was constantly my head was on a swivel all the time. And the very one that ran off all the time was Amber. <laughs> Constantly. That's the one that ran off all the time. Everyone, all the other ones stayed situated. But the one that always ran off and, and just misguided missile was <laughs> Amber. Uh, didn't know where she was going. She just take off. And, and um, But uh, what concerned the worst times of my life with my with my children was always being under the the pressure of watching out for them mm. trying to find out where they at where, who you talking to watch out for this if you see trouble go the other way those were the hardest things for me because with my children because I always was met with resistance and that's all that's normal because they don't understand but those were the that was the best things and the worst things for me as my children were growing up. Hmm. Um, for me, like uh, probably the best memories are like uh, I was I was a tattoo's dad. I loved having them tattoos. Like when we lived in Cali, I used to walk down to San Francisco with Ethan and tattoos, and his big old heavy ass and <laughs> <laughs> Mariah. But like um, I have a lot of clients who are in London. Five hours ahead, so uh, a 9 a.m. call out there is 4 a.m. here, and you know I do that. I do those a lot. So my kids both have we always wake up at like three or four, and like some of my best memories are like you know I know I got I got a call in five minutes. They waking up, you know uh, Ethan wakes up, he's going to fit, and you know I put him in the papoose and go on the Zoom call, and he's like right there with me, Aww. and like uh, and then by the end of the call he's asleep. 
you know, drooling on me. And then, like, I just sat there and just coded, you know, for like three hours, just, just on my chest. And uh, Mariah, you know, had similar, similar uh, experiences with Mariah, but like, they always, I always, um, they always see me doing business and working. And like, they see their dad, it's very important that to me that they always see their dad working and handling business. And uh, I really, that's, I really appreciate that. Um, you know, like you know, up until me and my mother split, they, they were, they literally were with me everywhere. And I took, I said, I took Ethan to a, a tech conference out in San Francisco. And it was called Puppet Conf for a Puppet Software, and uh, he was throwing a fit, and he had used the bathroom and I had to change him. And like they don't, you you've been to San Francisco, they don't have changing stations mm -hmm. in the public restroom. So like you literally was walking around and. There's nowhere for me to change him, so I just I had to I just had to change on the conference floor, like that was the only place to do it. And like I felt somebody standing over me, and like you know I was real, I was already agitated, and I'm like, why are you standing over me? I'm trying to change my son. And like I look over, and he was like, and he or he said, isn't that isn't that boy too young to be an engineer? And like I almost like snap, I turned into the CEO of Puppet, and uh, you know talking, and then. Uh, took pictures with them with with Ethan and stuff, and like we end up like end up doing some business after that conference and stuff. And it's like, uh, yeah, like it's like that wouldn't have happened if I didn't bring my bring my children. Like my children have always um, always uh, augmented my experiences, and um, I love that they love to always want to do stuff with me. No matter if I'm going, if I gotta uh, you know, go up the street to go, you know, get something, they're like. Hey Dad, well, yeah, can we go for a walk? You know, and afterwards, can we go to the park? Can I get on a call with you um, and your clients? I'm like, no, not not right now. Or you know, sometimes I'm like, yeah, because a lot of my clients they have kids and stuff. And like some of my clients and stuff, like they'll uh, they'll be on you know calls and talking to them to my clients' kids while me and my clients are doing the work and stuff like that. But like, yeah, that that's definitely that's like my best memories. And then my worst, I really like I really have one bad, bad memory, and that's like. Um, when I had to, when I had to leave, and um, Ethan, particularly Ethan, he asked me a lot. He's like, you know, why, when you left mommy's house, why did you go up the hill and never come back? And that, uh, it really bothers me because um, no, I didn't want, because I could tell that both of them thought that like I left because I didn't want to be with them, mm -hmm. and it just it wasn't the case. And um, you know, three years later, where you know, I, I don't have those feelings, and they don't have those feelings. But that was definitely hard, and I know something that like I have to if I don't actively work to like counteract, um, it could easily you know they they could grow up with uh, unnecessary like feelings of resentment or abandonment. So it's really important that I it's really important to me that I make sure that they know that. I love them and stuff. Which is why I'm, you know, do other things I do. Mm. So, myself, the happiest times is seeing them happy, which is what I love. As long as they're happy, then I'm happy. So, you go to the, all the extra for like going places, uh, Kings Island, Holiday World, or anything like that, it's extra. As long as I get to wake up every day and see their face, that's the most happy. The worst would be for them, as I see them as they grow up, 
and then go out into the world and face things that I can't really help them with. And it's the worst side of how I feel. And I just want to make sure I'm there for them every day, you know, and hoping just to be there for them. Okay. All right. All right. So, who do you consider to be some of the father father figures in your life that you looked up to, and why did you choose those people? I go first. Okay. Well, uh, the the men in my life uh, that I looked up to were my oldest brother and my oldest cousin. And the reason I looked up to them because I was raised without a father. I was adopted, so I was raised with a uh, by a single uh, elderly woman uh, at the time. But my oldest brother, well, let me add this, that my oldest brother was not my biological brother. So when I say that I was adopted, all my brothers and sisters that I was raised with were adopted. So my oldest brother, um, um, why I looked up to him because I looked at it, at him as being someone that was accomplished because I only think I've ever saw from him when I was, and he's 19 years older than me. So a lot of people thought that he, in the neighborhood, uh, thought that he was my father because he's the one that kept me in line. Um, but the reason I looked up to him because he was a family man. He was educated, he had a nice home. He had always had nice homes. Uh, He'd been on his job a long period of time, you know, where he retired about five years ago. And, the, and his daughters that he had, no matter where he went, he had his daughters with him. Mm. You know, he and his wife are still together today. Uh, and they're retired. Um, but I looked up to my oldest brother, Ed, because no matter what he did, his daughters were always with him and under him. And, and, and I marveled at that. Uh, as I was coming up. And my oldest um, cousin James was the same way. Uh, had been on his uh, job a long time. Uh, had a nice home. And he had uh, five kids. Hmm. And no matter where he went at, he had his kids with him. No matter what. Wherever you've seen James, you've seen his kids. Wherever you've seen my oldest brother Ed, you've seen his kids. So I looked up to them because they always had nice things. They always had nice houses. They always um, took good care of their children. They always had nice vehicles. They seemed to be accomplished to me, and they were. And um, I used to look at them and think, it, it, it takes a lot to, to uh, maintain all of this. You know, it takes a lot to not walk away. Because surely everybody has issues. Just because it seems like everyone uh, or someone else has everything together. It only seems that way because you don't know what they got going on. But everybody has issues. And I knew that coming up. So I looked at them um, as uh, role models. I said, I want to be like them. Mm -hmm. And uh, with my kids, even though me and their mother uh, didn't work out, my kids were always with me, mm -hmm. no matter what. I always checked on my kids. My my, my whole world was my kids. And I have to say this, as my kids got older, what people don't realize is that fathers can have empty nest syndrome too. Just like mothers. You usually hear it with mothers. Mm -hmm. But when you wrap your whole world around your children, and then one day 
your children are gone and they forget about you. You know, that's a disheartening thing. So, but yeah, my, um, my role models were my oldest brother and my oldest cousin, which formed my way of thinking today and long have since. Right. I would say my father, even though he wasn't with me through all my childhood, but anytime I needed him, he was there. Just a phone call that he always told me. Because he always told me, don't be like him, be better than him. And I always kept that in mind. So and I made sure I was always there for my kids, no matter what. Dad see me every day. This is how my father, <clears throat> excuse me, wasn't there for me every day. I made sure that I was there for them. Because as soon as they wake up, I'll be there for they see. Besides, uh, besides my father, there was three, three men in my life who uh, really made an impact. That's my brother's dad, Big Brandon. Um, he's the one who really cultivated my love for computers. He's the one who was from Oakland, so uh, every summer I would spend out in the, in the Bay Area and like we built computers together, we built networks. Like it, he, he really, and him and my father had a relationship. Like, I mean, he had promised my dad that he would uh, never put his hands on me. And he disciplined me. And he disciplined me in some very creative ways, but he never put his hands on me. Uh, my children's godfather, Griffin, his dad, Charles Griffin Sr., um, he also owned a pure company. Um, he had a contract at St. Stephen's. He helped cultivate, uh, he helped me like start my business and cultivate stuff. And, uh, you know, always, Loving for that, and then finally, my mom's current husband, Danny, because like how he treats her is uh, is really beautiful, and it definitely gives me uh, gives me a blueprint for how to you know treat a woman, especially in the, in the older years. Like I love seeing you know them as they they're getting older, and just like my mom constantly being happy, and like growing up and with my mom and other partners, not being Brandon, but the other partners, like uh, growing up, like seeing my mom be abused. Seen, like I've never seen her as happy as I see her with Danny. So, love for that. Oh. Well, that's beautiful. This has been such a good conversation so far. We're actually going to take a break so that we can hear from one of our sponsors right now. And then when we come back, we'll finish the rest of the questions up. Yes. All right. And we're back. So. Let's continue on with the questions. So, describe pregnancy and labor from the male perspective. Well, I'll take that on. Um, well, with, with my children's mothers, um, seeing them go through uh, the stages of uh, pregnancy, mm -hmm. I felt compassion. You know, knowing that that's something that we can't do and I would never want to do never want to go through but going through the different stages as uh, a pregnancy would, would send you through in, in the, and the effect that it has on a woman mentally and emotionally you know I mean lets me know that you all are much stronger than us uh, but I think I've always felt like like so compassionate for women like 
like, is it anything I can do? I almost feeling the one to blame, you know, like, you know, I did this, you know, uh, you wouldn't be like this if it wasn't me doing the hokey pokey. So, but uh, I'm thinking to myself, you know, wow, you know, it's, that, that's truly um, uh, amazing to be able to, to give life, to be the portal for life mm-hmm. and to bear all of what it's going to take to raise a child because truly women do way more like my wife she does way more than I could ever do way more and I think a lot of men have to have to recognize that with women um, you all definitely put out way more than we do and anything really that you ask for and want you deserve to have it because of what you all do which is way more than we could ever do but uh, as far as um, the pregnancy that a woman goes through, it's it's a it's a great thing. It's it's something incredible, and I give you all praise. I say, in my ooh, how can I say it? In my view, because I went through two pregnancies, my baby mama, which I felt like. I was more of a superhero because I got to do everything. You know, what you need, okay, get in here, let's go, you know, do that. They'll be at the hospital, I'm doing this and that to my wife, to where it's like, what you want me to do? You know, um, her leading the way on everything because she's she was already been through that twice already before me and her got together. And it's like, me just looking at her while she just like, this ain't nothing. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know it, it was like she knew what to do because she's been through all of it. So it, it was more like me knowing what to do at one point to like me sitting there just hands up. Okay, just wait. So it, it was, it was kind of odd to me. So it's still like a, a hands up thing with what, what I'm dealing with. Because she's been through it more twice than what I've been through. Yeah, so when uh, when my ex was pregnant both times uh, with our children, like I, uh, you know, like I said earlier, we planned both of both of our children. So you know, when we had finally succeeded, and you know, I'm like, oh yeah, I got a bun in the oven. Uh, especially the first time with Ethan, you know, like that's like when it, when I when I saw the pregnancy test. Like everything just like stopped and like it was like uh, there's these feelings I never had before. Like oh wow, I'm responsible for a life. Like I'm gonna have to take care of a a life, mm-hmm. like two lives, you know. And uh, I um, I took great joy in you know doing the things for her. Uh, like when she was pregnant with Ethan, we were living in Stanford, Kentucky, and Population is like less than 10,000 people. Like the most exciting, I remember I watched the cow give birth and it was like the Super Bowl because there's nothing else going on there. <laughs> yeah. so, uh, so, you know, obviously, I, like, I'm, all my contracts were like remote and uh, you know, every now and then I did some stuff in Lexington or Louisville or Richmond, but most of the stuff, most of my clients were like New York, California and stuff like that. So I was going through a drought and, you know, I, I didn't, it, 
is pretty much running on savings, um, running out of savings at this point. And I got a call from this person in Clay Hole, Kentucky, and that's Breckwick County. And that's a uh, uh, three and a half hour drive from Stanford, from Louisville's five hours, still in Kentucky. It's like, the, it's right next to a, a hazard. Like I have to pass through hazard to get there. Mm-hmm. And um, like, we like I drove. I got up middle. Like he was like, "Can you come tonight?" And this was 9 p.m. when he called me. And he's like, "I'll give you know, I'll give you a bonus. I'll give you 300 extra dollars plus on plus on top of you know whatever you can come do this tonight because like it was a software that needed to be written for the courthouse down there." And uh, so I got in the car. It was snowing like heavy, and this is in the mountains. Like I had to drive around the mountain. There's no guardrails, and like I slipped on ice and almost fell off. And like I did all this, like you know, because I had a pregnant wife at home, and it wasn't a second thought for me to like do. I, like I would not have done, I wouldn't have done it otherwise, you know. But like because I had, I knew I had a child on the way. Um, I took it as like a test. Like you know, you say, you say you know you're gonna do you do anything for your children. Oh, you need some money, and this is inconvenient. And frankly, it's dangerous. Like I was the only black person in that town. Like literally, the only black person in the town. Um, I, like they had no black kids on the football team at the high school. Like, yeah, it was uh, um, you know, Confederate flags and shit everywhere. Like I put, I felt like I felt many times I was in danger. Like the sheriff followed me to the edge of the town when I was when I was leaving. Like, yeah, it was scary. Like I could, we were hearing wolves howling and stuff. Like it's dead quiet. I don't know if you've ever heard like complete silence, but that shit is loud. And and uh, but I did but like I would do it I would do it again if I had to because you know I needed to take care of my pregnant wife so during the pregnancy you know there was nothing there was never there was never an ask that she asked that like I felt was like too much mm-hmm. or so like it really bothers me when I see people complain about their pregnant you know baby mom or wife or whatever and say oh she asked too much bro she's like literally that your, your legacy is in there in, in her stomach so shut up and as far as the um as far as the delivery so when um when ethan was born and she got her epidural right um they had they had me stand in front of her she had a gown she held onto my uh shoulders while like and i'm watching pull out this big ass needle and like the when and the pain that she was in when they like punctured her like it like it, it killed me. I couldn't do nothing. I couldn't do nothing about it. And um there her contractions and stuff, like seeing how much pain she was in and just like feeling just useless and powerless, like that that like that crushed me. Yeah. And then like after the babies came out, like that feeling like the feeling of, you know, seeing my children, seeing her, you know, give go through that process and give birth, like it was um it's definitely emotional for um for you know for the men, um, I, I will, it should be if you care, like <laughs> like you know um don't we, it's not it's not in my opinion it's not you know so much that we should you know we shouldn't be like the forefront or anything because obviously y'all are the ones who give birth but there is definitely a emotional and psychological um, toll it takes on on a on a man because a lot of people talk about. Uh, the environment about when the baby like make sure that your baby is in a it, when when they are born they're in a healthy environment but the environment starts like as soon as 
you know, to break like the the um, neurochemical you know, interactions with the pregnant woman and, and the, that child that she's growing. Like if the if the mother is stressed, it's going to be passed on to the baby. You know, if the the mother is sick, it'll be passed on to the baby. And also like the psychosomatic uh, uh, interaction between like if uh, I, I remember reading this thing like if a mother like um, like falls and hurts herself or whatever, like the, the fetus will send stem cells to the mom to like help her like repair broken uh, broken tissue and stuff like that. And that um, if I, if I want to have the best for my children, like that starts when they're being developed too. So I need to make sure that you know my uh, wife, mother, of my children um, is in the best phys physical, emotional, spiritual, mental well-being because that's going to be passed on to my children. And I do believe that you know traumas and stuff can be passed on through the through the canal. Mm -hmm. mm. So, wow! Ooh. I about to say that was a lot. <laughs> Got deep. All right. So, how did parenthood impact your adult relationships, whether significant others, friends, and if you were a husband, what changed? And what about your friendships? It's like a three-parter. Sorry. <laughs> I was like the first of my friends to have get married and have kids, so like uh, I kind of took pride being a blueprint for, for my friends and colleagues. Um, is that my social my social life uh, up until you know recently pretty, pretty been pretty mund mundane. So um, I never I never felt like I was missing out or anything. Like I saw my friends going out, like I never had that urge. Be like, oh man, I wish I could go out. Like I didn't care. Like all right, my kids be right there, and I'm on PlayStation. So, uh, my, my, I, when I got married, you know, I had already decided that I want, I'm not, I'm not going to cut off any of my friends who aren't married, but I made a conscious decision to like majority of my interaction with other married couples. And then when I became a parent, you know, I was like, I want the majority of my interaction to be around other parents, um, uh, for multiple reasons. One, so like my children have, uh, you know, colleagues to play with around their age. And two, like, I don't have all the answers and I need social support from my friends and being able to have a support group to lean on, other black fathers to be able to talk to, like, that's important to have. So uh, I just, I guess they just like evolved. Priorities definitely changed, you know. Um, my friends, I don't want to say utilitarian, but like um, having, like I said, having having social uh, circles that are conducive to me of being a, being a parent. Like, I'm not hanging out with people who are, you know, getting blacked out every every weekend. I have nothing against that, but I just not the, I'm, that's not the uh, lifestyle that I live. So, you know, I'm, everything is about uh, uh, what energies I'm gonna bring around my children. So, I didn't really cut anybody off, I didn't fall out with anybody, but you know, it's naturally just shifted. Next. Um, what I've the question was uh, let me see where I'm at here. What was the question? Uh, How did parenthood impact your um, uh, adult relationships, uh, significant others, and uh, friends? Well, I'm gonna tell you. Um, I didn't realize uh, as I was going through life with my children and their mothers. 
uh, being in a relationship with their mothers then, but I've definitely realized now that everything that you do in a relationship with their mother or with a significant other that the child sees has an effect on that child, on which way that child, he or she, will think and decide to go in life. And I've said to Chevelle, and, and I'm 55, and I said to Chevelle just a little while ago, I've realized that I have to be aware or more conscious of the things that I say and do because it can have an adverse effect, effect on how someone sees me, you know. And, I, and I'm not realizing, you know, if I say this or act that way, someone will, and I'm gonna say someone as in children, will make that, that determination on how they should be. It will definitely affect your kids. And through the relationship with Anne Malia's mother, and through the relationship with my son's mother and through the relationship with their older sister's mother, you know, coming up, I didn't realize that. And I think now that I've long since, as in my later years, have realized that um, I should have watched what I, <coughs> things I said and the ways I, I've acted you know, regardless of regardless of my intentions, mm -hmm. you know, can be looked upon as bad, you know, or not good, or even positive or good. So I've definitely realized that we have to be aware of how we act and what we, uh, it, and as innocent as it may be to us, how it's looked upon uh, from the children, mm. which are grown now. So, mm. you just have to be careful, you know, about what we do and what we say and how we act uh, because someone's always watching. Yeah. That too, I agree. Uh, <clears throat> to me, it's more of a, like a respect. You respect that person, then that person will respect you. Because, like you said, you know, you never know what the kid, what the kids will pick up from what you do. That's why I most I can show much respect to my mom, to well, to um, my wife and my baby mother. There's much of respect because you never know what the kids are going to pick up or repeat what you do. So I mostly, you know, I just show respect. Anything, you know, you may, you may not get that respect back, but it's always make sure you show that respect. You know, uh, real quick, just ending uh, this, I just want to add something else. I wish now that I could do a reset, I could do a rewind. Hmm. Um, through my whole life, um, the question was asked to me one time. Well, asked, well, several times. When I was coming up, I never, I always wanted to be married. I always wanted to have children. But I never, ever wanted to have uh, multiple children by different mothers. 
And because, uh, and how that happened was because of things that I've seen that, that, that formed my ways of thinking or the lack thereof. And I, so when I see uh, my daughter and Jerome, you know, it's, it's just like, it's just like with a job. Every time you quit a job, you have to start all over. Every time you quit one thing, you have to start, you have to start from scratch. Mm-hmm. And starting from scratch, everything uh, with that new relationship or with that new job that comes along with it, you gotta deal with. It. You gotta be prepared for it. So when you finish this and you start this, you got to deal with everything that comes along with it. Mm-hmm. And I wish that, and like I said, I never want to have different children, multiple children by different mothers. I wish I could go back. Now, I love my wife. You know, I love her. Um, but I wish I, I had only been married one time. I love my children. But I wish my children was all about one woman. You know, I wish I could do uh, a, a complete reset and do it all over again. I think that if I was able to go back and change things and do it the way I've always preached to my kids, the order to success in this exact order is education, career, and family. If you do it exactly like that, you won't have no choice. It's like it's like a, a game play. Mm-hmm. If you run this play just the way the coaches tell telling you to that's been proven to win, you're gonna win. And anytime you veer from that game play, you're gonna have issues. Just like when you going down the road and you see a detour. Now you know where you're going once that road is because you're used to going, you know. That road is like GPS is telling you to go this way, mm. and but if if the road is detoured due to construction or anything, you gonna have de- you know detours. You gonna have issues because you don't know where you're going. You don't know where you're going. Okay, now which way do I go? You looking for the next sign or next direction mm-hmm. to tell you? So you just you just like this, and you are gonna hit this bump. You are gonna hit that bump. You are gonna hit this bump. You are gonna hit that bump. Mm-hmm. So. I truly wish I could go back and do a recap in my life. And you've heard many people say, you've heard us say it, your parents say that if we go back and if I knew then what I know now. And you all gonna say the same thing. I've already said it. Y'all gonna say the same thing. But um, every time you start over, you have to start over. So you have to decide, is this the person I wanna be with? Because I don't wanna keep going. This is my fourth and my last wife. Trust me. And the other times I've I've made mistakes. But those were mistakes that I didn't have to make. So um, I just wanted to, you know, add that to what we were saying to this to this question. Mm -hmm. You know, as as it relates to uh, uh, parenting and, and, and the effects that it will have on your children. Mm-hmm. Even grandchildren. Mm. So. Well, like it must be nice. My says she's cutting everything off. <laughs> They're white boy. Mm-hmm. I said, 
If we part, we cut everything off. Lord Jesus. Y'all can't tell from the video angle. Spouses are present. (laughs) Okay. So, uh, this question kind of has a lot of stuff in it. Okay. So, as black men, what advice would you give specifically to other black men about being a father, especially considering the country's current issues with police brutality against young black men? Let me go first on that. Um, as a black man, um, and, and the reason I'm going first because I'm a little bit older than you, you know, we come from the same era, but, you know, because we're within a 10 year, you know, mm-hmm. but I still just a little bit older than you and a lot older than you. But the advice I would give or me and Keith could give to you is that whatever you start, you have to finish. Whatever you start, you have to finish. Because, because you have a whole lot of stragglers going on. You can't uh, start one thing and then move on to something else because you're going to always have to deal with the issues that you're going to have because of this that you started over here and never completed. And that's what you're going through now. You know, I've been through it. You know, anybody's got children by different mothers. I mean, in, in dis- different relationships. So what I'm saying, along with that, as a black man, no matter what, and I believe that you'll always be there for your children. You, I believe that. And when you have your grandchildren, I believe that you'll always be there um, for your grandchildren. But whatever you start, you have to complete. You have to finish. And, and if you start something, you're gonna have to stay, you can't keep moving around. You got to, in order to, you can't, you can't accomplish nothing if you don't finish something. And, and as far as uh, what, I, what I would tell these young black guys out here, black men, you know, all this coolness, the, the rides and the swagger that you see people in, all that's going to be for a season. That's going to change as you get older. As you get older and that body starts changing on you. That eyesight, that eyesight starts changing. Mm. That you start losing that hair, you lose the muscles. You know, you lose that swagger. You lose that memory. You're gonna be thinking, "Well, darn, I, if I'd have just did this instead of that, if I'd have just uh, stuck with this, and you know, with one thing, if I'd have just stayed out of the streets, you know, that one time I didn't." Go to the club. And I don't think you're a club guy. You know, I'm just saying what I would tell black men on the street. You know, you got a family. Um, let, let me say this. The problem with, you know, people, I hear a lot of people say, guys say, that black woman, that black woman, that black woman. I've even heard black men say, uh, I mean, black women say, that black man, that black man, that black man. But it's not the black woman's fault or the black man's fault to why the black relationship does not last. It's the black woman and the black man because the black woman don't know her place nor does the black man know his place. It's, it's, a, it's a shared responsibility. If we ever got together and knew what we were supposed to do, because we know because it's been told to us by our parents and grandparents on how it should be, 
our relationships will go along much better because it was already bred into us to give up and, and to be uh, uh, divisive against each other, you know, to argue with each other. It's already, already been put in us, and we know that. We already know this, that um, a black man can't uh, be as free out in the street as a, black, as a white man, mm -hmm. a white boy. We already know. We already know that if we came together as, uh, we already know the power that we have uh, in a black community mm -hmm. as, a, as, as black people in the whole, but we don't use it. We always say, yeah, if black people would do this and black people would do that, we have the opportunity to do this and, every, and that every day, but we don't do it. We always talk about what should be done, but we don't do it. And we all heard that saying, black people are like crabs in a bucket. You can fill a bucket up with crabs, you don't even have to put a lid on it. Soon as one gets to the top, the other ones are pulling right back down. Mm -hmm. But my advice to the black man is, if you got a family, you take care of that family and you get your butt out of the street. You know, I was just telling Keith, um, back when we was younger, I had an altercation with a guy. The guy's dead now. I got hit in the face with a contact over a basketball game. You know, and, and I told Keith, uh, remember what I was saying in the basement? If I had handled that the way I wanted to handle it, wouldn't I wouldn't be here today. I'd either be dead or in penitentiary. My whole life would be changed. Mm. But I had to realize that, and that was before you were born, and I had to realize that some things you have to let go. We got black people getting killed every day, every day in this world, and the cameras are now catching it. But just think how many that wasn't caught. Mm. So, yeah, I just want to say we got, we got to, uh, as black men, we got to wise up. We got to, we got to do better. You know, I got out of the streets a long time ago. I said, I, you know, with, with the other relationships that I was in, I said, I'm doing something wrong. You know, I've had the best of jobs. I've always had high-paying jobs, the best of everything, even work for myself. But it wasn't working for me because I wasn't doing it right. I was, I was still running the streets. I was still trying to, I wasn't taking care of business at home. You know, uh, I wasn't doing everything I was supposed to do. But when I realized that, hey, I gotta, I can't keep getting married. I can't keep doing this over and over again. So when I look back and say the other three were practiced, they were. Because I definitely learned from them. But it wasn't until I decided, hey, I put on the brakes. I'm not gonna run in the streets anymore. It's crazy out there. There's nothing out there. Only thing that's open at, at one o'clock, one o'clock in the morning is legs. You know, but once I decided that I'm like, hey, I gotta make some changes, is when my whole life turned around. So my, uh, my advice to uh, black men is you better check yourself before you wreck yourself. So let's move on to the young next. <laughs> I would say it'd be communication. If we don't have communication, we have nothing. Because if we don't communicate, our kind will be gone in, a, in, in an instant. Because we don't communicate with each other. Just how the white people, they communicate. We don't communicate with each other. 
that's our problem. That's what we need to work on. Probably like as a community, a family, even a couple. If you ain't got communication, what is that? There's nothing, nothing here. You just two people looking at each other. You know, that's how I, my opinion, that's how I feel. So, uh, that's how I basically can say, all I can say. So, <clears throat> uh, my father was in prison from the time I was two to the time I was 24. And he had originally was given a life sentence then he was given 65 years and now it was 65 to 22 but I grew up having to like uh, internalize the fact that I would I might not ever see my father outside of prison and I don't I have zero memories of my father outside of the cell like uh, um, and it's the same cell the same the same visiting room over and over and over but she don't know my dad uh, um, and you know, but one thing like this, this uh, one thing I never, I never struggled with. I've always known my father loves me, and I mean, my father have an amazing relationship, but he just physically couldn't be there because he was incarcerated. And um, you know, I don't, I'm not gonna, I'm times on the situation, but like, you know, my father is a is a victim of the criminal justice system, and like. Um, and, and I was robbed of my, of that experience. Um, and that has always been like the driving factor for me of like, I'm not gonna put myself in that position because I know how it felt growing up <coughs> and um, not knowing if your father is safe and not being able to talk to him when I, when, when I want to talk to him, I have to wait for a phone call, and that phone call don't last 15 minutes. Like every time I hear that securist come on, like it triggers me. Um, so I, I don't want to, uh, I don't want to do that for my, for my children. And the fact that, you know, I have, I have had incidents with police brutality, and I got my ribs cracked by the police, um, had guns in my face, and at that point, like I thought that I was gonna die. And the only thing that I was seeing was my children. And, uh, and you know, I wasn't, I wasn't being aggressive. I wasn't, I was complying. I was doing everything that they say to do to survive that encounter. And I was still brutalized. And I'm going to jail and then while I was beat by a cop while I was in, while I was in the jail. So on the same weekend, I got beat twice. Uh, and, uh, I was thinking, you know, I saw my son as a, you know, 25-year-old man, and like uh, him going through that, and like, you know, that it it angers me. It, it it's depressing. Um, I I don't like the feeling of like knowing that like there's nothing that I can do about it. Um, and like every like. When I go pick my kids up in Danville, like Danville only has eleven police officers, like, and one, of the, and you know, I, I see, I see these cops all the time, and every time I see them, it's triggering for me, and there's nothing, like, there's no, there's no legal, there's no recourse for me, 
and um, the fact that I don't have control of that. Like I can do everything that I can do, what I know how to do, and still end up the hashtag. And uh, having to raise children in that world is um, very scary because you know every black every black person you know knows of, knows that is an imminent threat, but it's another level when you experience it firsthand. And uh, so what I would tell um, what I would tell other black people, other black men, you know, a lot of a lot of the things that um, our ancestors had to do out of survival um, doesn't equate to living in the 21st century. And one of the biggest things that I say is like uh, emotional, emotional stability and, and intelligence, right? Like, I really believe like the fact that what kept me alive was the fact that even if I was getting beat, I still kept my cool. And, um, and in our community, you know, showing emotion, a black man showing emotion is shown as weakness. But, you know, me having me having that it would literally save my life. And we have to like not not I'm definitely like instilling in my children, you know, having emotional intelligence and awareness and stability because not not having that control could cost you your life, even if you're in the right. And um, it's true. And uh, you know, like a hundred years ago, it wasn't as important because black people in the community we had literally wider, more imminent, you know, problems like going on, like in our city burned and shit. So you know, a thousand black men being lynched and shit. So like. Yeah, like it, it's not. It, it was still needed at the time, but like the but the but the level of the the level of threat was different. So it had to take a backseat. We're a little. I mean, it's still brutal out here, but like you know, um, on average, the average uh, you know, black um, millennial and, and Gen Z has more uh, outright opportunity than our ancestors did. And with that comes a you know paradigm shift and like what um, is um, like a far priorities and like how you can how you have to navigate this uh, this culture, this culture of white supremacy. And um, so I tell black I'm like I'm in a lot of uh, black fathers groups, um, you know, and what, something I really love is is that like we do uh, we like lean on each other and it's very important. Like black men, we are we don't have. We don't have um, anybody for us but us, you know. Uh, Government-wise, like you know, if a black man is struggling, you know, it's, he can't. It's really hard for him to get well. It's not possible, but you know, it's really hard for him to get the same things that if a woman needed that, she can get those uh, those services. Um, and then you know, socially as well, like we we have to like break this. Um, this idea that we cannot be there for each other, we can't show emotion um, in front of each other, we can't ask for help from another, um, and do so without feeling shame. So uh, we're really all we we're really all we have, like black men in this country, um, 
and you know, and our and black women have you know, they're in their own different, you know, in different facet, you know, uh, for different stuff that black women have gone through in the history of this country. But black men, like we've we have always been, um, our existence is, is always been seen as a threat, like just by living, I am seen as a threat to people. Just minding my business. I mean, you see it all the time, like black men minding their business and getting brought up on. Well, let me let me uh, ask you. Uh, so when you say that uh, we're seen as a threat, and that's true, why do you think we're seen as a threat? Why do you think white people are scared of us? And they are scared. But why do you think they're scared of us? Constant threat of genetic annihilation. Well, could be, but. White people are scared of us because they know that if we ever had true power, we would they would be afraid that we would treat them the way they've treated us. That's what they're scared of. White people, um, if you notice, what they hate more than the racist act that they've committed is being accused of being a racist. Because if if they do something, and the reason they don't think it's racism, because they've always been able to do what they want and, and have gotten away with it. Without, without no recourse, without no, I mean, because you're looking at what's going on today. When stuff can be videotaped, can be recorded mm -hmm. of their wrongdoing, and they still get away with it. Mm -hmm. See, um, Donald Trump is the perfect example of what they call white supremacy. Because what they do, they do what they want to do, and they say, well, no, we didn't. No, it's not like that. And if you say it enough, people will start to believe it. I didn't do that. I didn't say that. But the power is not white supremacy. It's power. And whoever has the power, so if we had the power, they would call it black supremacy. If the Chinese had the power, they would call it Chinese supremacy. But right now, white people have the power. That's why it's called white supremacy. Because it's all about power. See, but we as black people, if we truly, truly got together and with each other, just us, just us people here in the room, we don't need nobody. You know, we don't need nobody. You know, if you go to a bank for money, the banks need you. If you got a bank that's sitting right up here, right up here before you turn on to come to our house, if nobody ever goes and opens up an account with that bank, guess what's going to happen? That bank's going to go down. Because they need your money to function. They need your money to circulate, to put out money to other people borrowing money. But it's us as black people that really do have the power. And they know it, that we are powerful. But, but we don't know it. They know it. And, that's the, and, and really, that's it in a nutshell. When it comes to the power, they know we got the power, but we don't know we got the power. Because if we did, we still wouldn't be sitting around talking about it. If, ands, and buts. If if, ands, and buts was candy nuts, we all would have a good, good Christmas. <laughs> okay, so I just wanted to add that. I won't, I won't break in anymore. Uh, uh, no, I'll come with that. Black men, we need each other. And... Uh, I think there was a consensus about that across all three. Y'all said it in three different ways, but yes. Yeah. All right. So, for those who have experienced co-parenting, 
What advice do you have for other men experiencing this? And what about custody and child support? Well, I think because I paid child support, <laughs> um, plenty of it. Uh, um, when it comes to custody and child support, I think uh, anytime that a parent is raised by, that a child is raised by one parent, that child is losing out. I don't care how good the mother is. I don't care how good the father is. If he has that child, anytime a child is raised by one parent, the child is missing out on the on the fullness of what he or she has uh, 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 a chance to receive. The fullness of everything of of. Uh, Socialization skills are, uh, are, are just a whole human experience. You know, just like if someone, if, if you have someone that uh, quits high school and someone goes to college, this one that's in college is going to get the whole gist of how to take care of his or herself, how to deal with the world. The one that quits school has to... <laughs> Bump the head, bump the head, bump the head, bump the head. The one that goes to college definitely has more, uh, has more of an experience, a uh, better chance on the world than the one that doesn't go to college. Not saying that the one that doesn't go to college can't be more successful than the one in college. I'm not saying that at all. But I'm just saying the one in college has more uh, 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 benefit to them as far as dealing with the world uh, than the one that doesn't have college. So what I'm saying in a relationship, when a child has uh, only one parent, regardless if it's the man or the woman raising the child, the child is losing out. So the child needs both parents to get that, well, that boy needs to understand the role as a father. Or that, that girl needs to understand the role as, uh, as a mother. But that boy or girl needs to be able to understand and get the whole gist of how he or she sees their mother and father interact with each other, of how family should be, morals and values within the family. That's why I was saying that I wish I could go and do a reset because I have to, I regret, I have to now, I've long since realized that I have to um, be mindful of the things that I say and the ways I've acted around my children because it's definitely had an effect on them. So, uh, with relationships being uh, co-parenting, you we have to understand, now even though with her kids, I'm her kid's stepfather, I have to, I have to realize that they're Along with realizing they're not my kids, I have to realize, well, that's the mother and she has her role as the mother. But what she has to realize with me is that, okay, he's not their biological father, but he is the father who's been stepped into that role. He is the father that's, in, that's taking care, not just the father that's taking care of them and providing for them, but he's the father that's been stepped into that role. That's why they call it a stepfather or stepmother 
you have to re you have to respect that mother for the role that she's to step into, or that father for the role that he's to uh, uh, step into. And I'm saying this as it relates to the question of co-parenting. You have to respect that parent, male or female, for his or her role in in uh, uh, the influence on the child. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. You know, I can't say, well, I don't exactly agree with what she's doing, but she is the mother in, 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 in certain things, the mother's gonna, the vibe that the mother's gonna, uh, or the vibe that the child is gonna get from the mother is something that I can't give. Mm -hmm. Even if she's wrong, it's something that I can't give. And the vibe that that child is gonna get from, from me, even though I'm not the biological father, is something that she cannot give because I'm the father. She cannot give. She has to step back and say, this is the role that, that I've allowed him to be in. And I'm going to tell you a story. One time uh, I watched this, this movie uh, back when I was a teenager. And there was, it was back set in the days of like the 1800s where they was riding around on horse and buggy, like the 19th century. Mm -hmm. And there was this lady who's, um, she was raising a single child. The father had gotten killed. So the boy was probably about seven years old. And she went out to a bar. She had watched this, went out to a bar, a, a pub, a saloon, where they had been drinking. Guys got together, uh, drank. It was all just guys there, you know. And so the women there were the, well, the, were the hookers, you know. You know what I'm saying? They... So the women, the woman went there and watched everybody, all the men, for about a month. Mm. And what she was doing, she was trying to find a father for her, for her uh, son. Mm. And that, at that time, that was the only place that she could go, apparently. So uh, she went to this man, and he had been drinking at the bar, and he came there every day after he got off from work. And he was dressed decent and everything, but he was one that he was single, but you know, he went to the bar every day, but she could see it was benefits in him that she was looking for. So she told him, she said, if you raise my son, I've got this house, I'm, I'm a widow, I've got this house, uh, I've got all this, if you do this for me, all, all this is yours. So she invited him over, he came over, and looked at the house and stuff and introduced him to her son. And she said, I need you to raise my son because I can't do that. I need you to raise, make a man out of my son. Mm -hmm. And they showed him through life. She gave all responsibility, all responsibility to him as the father of her son. It wasn't no, no, you're not the father. You know, he was her father. He was her son's father. And mm -hmm. she let him raise him, let him discipline and everything. And he turned out to be a doctor. And I never forgot that story because she said, as long as you do good by me and my son, I'll never step in. i never say nothing. Mm -hmm. And he made, she made him, she asked him to promise her that. And all this is yours. Mm -hmm. I give you the home, you give my son a father. Mm -hmm. and, that's, and that's what happened. I forget the name of that movie, but I watched that movie uh, as a teenager and I never forgot that movie. So again, that's in relation to the question co-parenting, you got to understand, you got to respect the person, I have to respect Chabelle for the role that she is, that she's in as 
her kid's mother. And as a role that she's in as my kid's stepmother, even though my kids are grown. You know, so she has to do me the same way. Certain things that she can talk to Amber about. Yeah, she's not her biological mother, nor Aaliyah, nor Amber's. I mean, or Whitney's, nor Marx's. But her perspective as the mother, she is the stepmother. You know, she's taking the place, although that makes them have two mothers. But she still is the mother. And I truly believe that she's not going to guide them in any way or tell them anything that's going to be uh, detrimental to them. In the same way with me, you know, I look at her daughters up there and her son is being mine. They mine because I stepped into that role. Mm -hmm. They're mine. So when I tell them something, I mean it because it's for the benefit of them. So we got to respect each other as co-parenting, whether it's my kids or her kids, mm -hmm. for who we are, who mm -hmm. she is, who I am. And soon we, as soon as we understand that, that's what I was saying about relationships. It's not the black woman to why the relationship doesn't work. It's not the black man to why the relationship. It's us together because we don't know our roles. We don't know. We don't respect each other for, hey, she's telling them that whether it's mine or yours, I'm not going to say a word. Or he's telling them that uh, whether it's mine whether it's my kids, I'm not going to say a word. We need to know, um, we need to have high regard and respect for, for who that person is when it comes to co-parenting. Now, if I was telling her kids to go jump off the cliff, then that'd be a problem. Then she's supposed to say something, you know. But if it's nothing like that, you know, but but the power is not, it's not, that's the problem. The power that the white people have, uh, the power is they know we got the power, we just don't know it ourselves. Mm -hmm. They know it, and that's what puts them, and that what, that's what gives them the power, because they know we got it, but we don't know we got it. That's why they got it. That's why they got it. They know, but we don't. So, um, you know, I, me and my ex-wife we co-parent. Uh, you know, with me, like on my business and make my own schedule. Like, I'm blessed to have a very flexible, um, you know, flexible business schedule. Like, I get them every other weekend, but um, you know. Randomly, especially when they're not in school, I, I uh, can get them two, three weeks at a time, stuff like that. But well, even though me and Becca don't, we didn't work out, and uh, like sometimes we just try to learn to like each other, we still, um, majority of the time, like are really good at, at making decisions for the children, which is what gives, uh, makes me feel comfortable and safe. Like, like the, the fact that I'm not there. And I'm you know, physically there to ensure that I'm protecting my children. It's really important um, for me to have that open line communication. Um, you know, she she knows that if there's an emergency, she'll call me, and you know, I'll, I'll drive the damn we're gonna get my kids right now. And uh, if she, you know, and vice versa. Um, as far as the custody and child support, uh, I believe you know if you uh, 
you man enough to have a child, you know, you need man enough to take care of your child. So uh, my only my only personal regret is I don't believe in the court, you know, going in. I don't believe in a white man coming in and telling me what I can and can't do when I can see my child, you know, how much I gotta pay. Like my job support, I pay a thousand dollars every month, and like I don't even care about that because I, I would do that anyway. It's the fact that I'm being told to and being forced. And if I don't, or like if I, you know, if, if something, if I, if I were to have a bad time and I can't, you know, have the thousand dollars, I can go to jail. Like that's crap. Now, but you know, I don't shy away from shy away from wanting to take care of my children. I want to take care of my children. And I will take care of my children. They but, get us with the bait and trap all the time. All the time. All the time. So, uh, you know, if uh, if y'all are in a situation where y'all know y'all aren't going to be together, um, you know, make, uh, like Adam said, a child who only has one parent in their life is being losing out. And losing out. So, y'all don't have to be in the same household. You know, like we have technology. <laughs> like, like, well, I wish I could have FaceTimed my dad, you know, like, but he, he got, uh, they got J-Pay, like, the, like, the year before he got out of prison, and we were video calling that last, like, 12 months, right? I wish I could have had that the whole, like, 22 years, you know? Like, the fact that I can call my children and I can see them anytime I want to, yeah, it's not the same as holding them, but, like, you know, I, I don't go through, like, what my dad was going through, where, you know, weeks at a time, he can't see me, can't talk to me. And like being and in a situation like forced to like knowing that he wants to see me but couldn't be prevented from being prevented from seeing him. So uh, like y'all like the the parents like once the children come like y'all don't really y'all don't really matter anymore. Y'all matter as far as like handling responsibility, doing what y'all need to do to do what's best for the for your progeny. So um, like I don't. There, there's things that my ex-wife suddenly does that, that bother me and make me upset, but I never, never, never use that in my decision-making for like the kids. I never do anything out of like bitterness or anger. anger. Um, and I'll tell other black men, like make sure you don't do that. Like never make a decision out of anger. That's like um, trying to get back at somebody else and trying to use the children as a, as a medium to do that. So. But uh, y'all, y'all don't have to. Um, I personally think the idealistic approach is, you know, a healthy relationship under one house. But you know, I also believe that a distributed home approach, you know, is also, you know, can 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 be a good runner up. You know, um, so you don't have to be in the same household, but you definitely have to have the same um, goals, like communication. You can't stand the, you can't stand that Negro. Like you still got to talk to him because you know, like at the end of the day, you let his penis inside of you, and you had a baby with him. And and then like as much as my ex-wife gets on my nerves, I put my penis in her multiple times and had babies on purpose. So I look like a clown for you know, time talk bad about my ex-wife. Uh, and I and I tell dudes that all the time, like you know. She, you know, you're saying that she's a bitch and all that, but she want a bitch when, you know, that's like her legs are with you was with it one time. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's just, exactly. like, you know, like, don't, like, you know, stop the cap. I, I don't, I don't, I don't respect, I really don't have the patience and respect for men who, um, overly, like, bash on their, on their baby mother and ex-wife. I'm like, that, it's a big red flag to me. Mm-hmm. Big red flag. 
because it was all that. If it was really that bad, it was just her, and you ain't do shit, and it's just her, mm-hmm. then you're an idiot. <laughs> like, <laughs> like you, you still she was all this, and you still procreate both on both sides. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. Both so like, sides, I, I'm yeah. not, I'm not gonna, you know. And I understand, like, I've been through, I've been through some, through some real life BS, but I still, um, I still, you know, take into account like all the uh, factors that went into play. All right. Well, we are actually at the limit. Right. We have hit the podcast limit. Yes. So we are gonna cut this short, unfortunately. Unfortunately. But we want to thank all the fathers who participated. Yeah, so we had one less fathers than we did mothers. And I was kind of nervous about that. I was like, I don't want everybody to feel like they had to talk so much. But it was actually like really good. I had a lot of sex. I'm about to say. Fine. Because we don't ever have it in my perspective. No. Not really. No. Just two girls talking all the time. <laughs> no, he drone appears. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Where I live. You mom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So. But yeah. But. It's good. I think this is a really good episode, and I'm excited. I'm Drop glad. some gems. Yes. All right. And, yeah, so like we said, this episode will drop the day after Father's Day. Yeah. And uh, it will be on the Patreon um, live and visual um, sometime after that. So just follow our Instagram and Facebook, and we'll let you know when it drops with the Mother's Day one. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. And, yeah, and don't forget... Send us your subscription so that you can be put in for the button, put in for the free t-shirt drawing. Yes. One person will win a t-shirt. Everybody will receive a button. Yes. Well. Can we three get a check? A what? A check. Can we three get a check? We got to get a check first. Right. I'm about to say, who's getting the check? What about our percentage? Percentage of what? You want a button? (laughs) (laughs) That can be a discussion off air. Yes. Because we only got it. Yeah, no. Okay, so that's it. That's all. We'll see you all next time. Yeah, for the last episode of season one. Yes, all right.